Welcome to the Healthy Compulsive Project podcast, where you can take a deep dive to explore the pitfalls and potential of the obsessive compulsive personality, offering hope and help for perfectionists, workaholics, micromanagers, type A personality, and control freaks. Welcome back to the Healthy Compulsive Project podcast. My name is Gary Trosclair. I'm a psychotherapist, Jungian analyst, and author with a specialty in working with people who have obsessive compulsive personality. Today, I'll be talking about a particular type of compulsive personality, the worker-doer. This type was the prototype for the Energizer Bunny that has inspired so many of us to buy far more batteries than we actually need, with the hope that we too can just keep on going. In this podcast, I'll be describing the positive and negative aspects of this type and suggesting some ways to balance it so that you can be fulfilled rather than burned out. If you think this podcast might be helpful to others, please rate and or review it after listening. This is episode 19 of the Healthy Compulsive Project podcast. The Compulsive Worker-Doer, Destined for Burnout or Fulfillment? This is the second in a series of four posts describing four different types of the obsessive-compulsive personality. Each of the four types have different gifts, talents which may be pursued with satisfaction or enlisted toward off anxiety. OCPD Type 2, the compulsive worker-doer, is compelled to accomplish, produce, achieve, and fix. They usually bring this passion to their career, but may also apply it to athletic pursuits, artistic pursuits, volunteer commitments, hobbies, or to the impossible goal of being a perfect parent. Results vary. I've had some experience with this. From the time I was 8 until I was 38, I was passionately devoted to music and to mastering the trumpet. I practiced compulsively, never missing a day. I'd take red-eye flight so I wouldn't miss a minute of practice. My neighbors in Greenwich Village were not very happy about this, My attitude, usually not expressed, was, Welcome to New York City. You want music? Put up with musicians practicing. My wife-to-be would say, Let's go out for a walk. Can't. Need to practice. But you practiced already this morning. Yes, and? Once, near the time of an orchestra audition, a colleague suggested that I take the day off before to let my lip muscles rest. My response was biblical. Get behind me, Satan. I would have done better to welcome him as an angel. Any weightlifter will tell you that you need to take days off or at least alternate with lighter days so that your muscles can recover. But my disposition as a compulsive worker-doer blinded me to the benefits of rest. I doubt that I would have ended up as principal trumpet of the Philadelphia Orchestra even had I learned to take it easy. But the time I spent as a professional musician would probably have been more enjoyable and less plagued by perennial stiff embouchure muscles. Learning to let go for a while is a lesson I've had to learn, and one that has allowed me to settle comfortably into my career as a therapist, which, by the way, I'm quite happy with. Meanwhile, I've traded symphonic ambitions for a rock band, low culture at high volume, and I've learned not to practice every day. My unrelenting determination as a musician is typical of the worker-doer. They get the job done, no matter what. Completion is a cardinal virtue and feels essential to achieving even the briefest peace of mind. Productive, hardworking, and energetic, this is the kind of person you want on your team, 
when they're operating healthily. They have the capacity to enjoy work and the process of mastering a new challenge. They see what's wrong or missing and feel some urgency to fix the problem. The worker-doer feels bound to create, repair, and resolve, crossing victories off their list and adding new challenges as soon as they finish the old one. But they can also take on too many tasks faster than you can say burnout. They lose sight of their priorities and what they want most to accomplish. Because they forget what's most important to them, they don't meet the goals that have real meaning for them, and they continue to feel unfulfilled. Their solution, unfortunately, is to work more and more to try to fill the emptiness. Welcome to workaholism. Looking one level deeper, we see that work is also used to compensate for insecurities, to raise self-esteem and lower anxiety. Some degree of achievement and mastery can be natural and fulfilling, but if it's enlisted to avoid feelings such as inadequacy, it not only leads to overworking, but also to greater anxiety because they continue to invest in the idea that they need to prove their worth, rather than looking at what they uniquely have to offer. When they're not able to use their strategy of doing and fixing, they can become very uncomfortable. Traffic, bad weather, corporate reshuffling, and recalcitrant children are all out of their control, no matter how hard they work. Without integrating the reflective aspects of the thinker-planner type, the worker-doer may be impulsive at times in their compulsivity. They may not think carefully before pressing send, committing to a big project, or signing up to run the Ironman triathlon between work binges. While all four types of obsessive-compulsive personality run the risk of some form of neglect, the worker-doer is most likely to shortchange their relationships and their own well-being in a quest for productivity. Partners, friends, and children can all easily feel abandoned, not to mention their own body. They may miss medical appointments and not sleep, exercise, or eat well, all because they're too busy and it eventually comes back to haunt them and their families. They can usually afford to spend more time in the server-friend aspect, cultivating their relationships. They usually have difficulty delegating work and try to do it all themselves. They can afford to spend more time in the teacher-leader part of the personality and share the wisdom and workload with others. That would also have the benefit of reconnecting with what they believe is most important, rather than push forward mindlessly. Such a focus on work can lead to an actual addiction, known psychologically as a behavioral or process addiction. The addiction is not to a substance, but to a behavior, a behavior that produces its own substances such as endorphins and opioids, which can be just as compelling as addictive substances. This means that you're sleeping in the corner office rather than in an alley, and there's no shame motivating you to kick the habit. I've seen people who can't allow themselves to get engaged in therapy despite really wanting to because their work addiction was so intense that they could not take the time to go to sessions. And, just like an alcoholic who says, just one more drink, they say they have to just finish this particular project or take that prestigious position, and they continue to put off the very thing that could help them break the pattern. And, as with any addiction, after the first few times, it's not fun anymore. It's just trying to feel normal again for a moment. 
I noted in my previous post in this series that, as Carl Jung famously said, the gods have become diseases. In this case, the Greek god who doesn't feel so good is Hephaestus, also known by his Roman name Vulcan. His disease is work addiction, creating and achieving without regard to purpose. Hephaestus was the god of the forge. He created weapons, furniture, jewelry, and Cupid's arrows, the ones that make us buy and sell all those silly cards on February 14th. Hephaestus had a passion to create, so there is something to be revered here. He had a particular role to fill. He served the gods, making whatever they needed. But when the worker-doer loses track of what or who he is in service to, he becomes ill. Rather than a well-functioning forge putting out products as needed, production runs amok. He's putting out stuff that nobody needs. He needs to go to a Workaholics Anonymous meeting immediately, if not sooner. Let me give you just a little glimpse of a moment in the life of Hephaestus as he reported it to me in one of our sessions. He goes to the bank to deposit a check. People are chatting. No banking going on at all. He says to me, Don't these people have better things to do with their time? I've got things to do. I built 11 ironclad submarines with more horsepower than the Kentucky Derby. I just couldn't stop myself. Anyway, Poseidon said, What'd you do that for? I don't need any submarines. So I've got to put them all up on eBay. I can't have 11 subs just sitting around my forge. Besides, I've got to figure out my next line. My Instagram account is nosediving, and I've got a rep to maintain. Hey, isn't time up? As you might be picking up, one common feeling for this type, one aspect of its not feeling well, is constant urgency. Always more, always faster, never enough. Hephaestus and I did eventually agree that he needed to start checking in with the other gods to see what was needed rather than just pumping stuff out without any idea who or what it's for. That's when he came up with the idea for Cupid's arrows. Well, at least those do get used. We all have some Hephaestus in us, some much more than others. If he takes over the wheel without collaborating with other parts of the personality, a drive to nowhere or a wreck is likely to ensue. But this wasn't just a problem on Mount Olympus 2,500 years ago. One of the dangers for this type is that our culture approves when it goes off the deep end, even when it's killing you. Here's a story that demonstrates how deeply it's baked into our way of living. John Henry was a freedman, formerly enslaved, who worked as a steel driver busting out the tunnels for railroads in the mid-19th century. He was known for being able to blast out rock with his hammer with remarkable speed and efficiency. When the railroad introduced a machine to speed up the process, a race was set up between Henry and the machine. He beat the machine, but he died from exhaustion. The irony is that Henry had to become machine-like to win the battle, sacrificing his own body and probably much more. We may admire him, but we also do well to question his martyrdom. Such is the fate of the worker-doer. We may win the concrete practical battles for a quantitative life, producing, fixing, and blasting tunnels, and maybe even proving our worth to an imagined audience but we lose the battle for quality of life and end up burned out. But why? Why do people go so overboard? Let's look at another Greek figure that was a worker-doer type of compulsive, Hercules. 
I've written about Hercules before, sorting out the difference between being a compulsive hero and a heroic compulsive. For our purposes today, I'll just point out that Hercules, our proto-model for heroism, labors, and achievement, was motivated partly by his fear of not being good, that is, morally good. His was a classic case of overcompensation. He did have reason to question his virtue. He had murdered his own family. But that was when he was under a spell fired at him by his jealous stepmother, Hera. So we'll cut him some slack. Meanwhile, we all do well to ask what spell we are operating under, what complex has taken the wheel, and to beware trying to prove our virtue by overworking. But there are times when our work has meaning, when even overworking does serve others or even parts of ourselves. We've all benefited from the work of others who have sacrificed themselves for the rest of us. And there have been times when we had to sacrifice specific desires for our well-being and that of others. My job as a therapist is not to tell people what to do, but to help them be aware of their motivations so that they can make informed decisions about how to live. In this case, the danger is that our good works become a performance to gain accolades and less about actually achieving the goal for the benefit of others or our own well-being. Of course, motivations are almost always multi-determined, but we do well to beware falling headfirst into the archetype of the martyr just to be the martyr, rather than to be fighting for the cause the martyr sacrifices himself or herself for. Since many of the tendencies of the worker-doer can be healthy, where do you draw the line? Here are some indications that things have gotten out of control. You can't choose when to stop. You get anxious when you aren't doing, working, or fixing. It has an addictive quality. Your well-being, mental or physical, begins to suffer. You neglect relationships. The cause you're working for becomes less important than the appearance you hope to achieve in working for the cause or in fending off guilt. To be fulfilled rather than burned out, worker-doers need to integrate other aspects of the obsessive-compulsive personality. Like the teacher-leader, they may need to delegate, take less responsibility for getting all the work done themselves, and take more leadership rather than follow the elusive carrot of achievement obsessively. Like the server friend, they need to consider their impact on other people and that they may feel more fulfilled if they nurture their relationships more. And, like the thinker-planner, they need to slow down and reflect about where they're going and what they're working for. They also need to remember how to enjoy the process of work, not just its completion. For a thorough and systematic guide to optimizing the compulsive personality, read my book, The Healthy Compulsive, Healing Obsessive Compulsive Personality Disorder, and Taking the Wheel of the Driven Personality. You can find transcripts of this podcast with links to research sources and lots more at the Healthy Compulsive blog, www.thehealthycompulsive.com. If you'd like to subscribe to the Healthy Compulsive podcast, hit that subscribe button. And for a thorough guide to cultivating the positive potential of the compulsive personality, find my book on Amazon, The Healthy Compulsive, healing obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, and taking the wheel of the driven personality. And if you find any of these helpful, let others know by leaving a review. Till next time, enjoy the drive.